days of my youth is a Fuse Cruise Loose Podcast. I got a Fuse Cruise Loose and I'm telling you the truth. It's a Fuse Cruise Loose Podcast. I got a Fuse Cruise Loose, you don't really want proof. It's a Fuse Cruise Loose Podcast. I got a Fuse Cruise Loose, why do's what I do? It's a Fuse Cruise Loose Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose, the podcast where we have discussions about mental health and mental illness by the mentally ill. My name is Dan and I am one of your hosts. You can find me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. And I am P in Charlotte. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Screws Loose Pod. In our previous episode, we discussed recklessness and how it relates to us as well as some of the different types of mental illnesses that can lead you to be more reckless, such as um, borderline personality disorder, mania, things of that nature. And we shared a lot of P stories being reckless. I really didn't have very many. So, uh. Be on the lookout for that episode. That's episode nine, Recklessness. Check it out. So uh, before we get this episode kicked off here, what I want to do is take a second to ask you if you enjoy A Few Screws Loose, the podcast, to give us a rating and a review, preferably on um, Apple Podcast or in iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate uh, positive reviews. If there's something we need to work on, Definitely reach out. Let us know what we're going to discuss today is the conditions in which we grew up in and how that may have attributed to our mental health issues. I mean, we grew up in a inner city urban environment during the 80s and 90s when crack was like at its all time high as far as uh, the ep epidemic, a lot of violence, a lot of poverty. I mean, that's what we saw all around us. And I remember P said to me not too long ago, and I'm sure he'll, he'll want to speak on it is he didn't know that other families didn't have random apartment check checks. You remember that P? I had no idea we were even on section eight until I was an adult. And you know, when you're a kid, you kind of either don't understand stuff and you really don't think about it much your entire life until you're an adult. Um, but I'll just say that when we lived in the projects, I have a large family. I have 10 aunts and uncles on my mom's side. They all have kids. We had a lot of people in that one house every day. Um, the people who didn't live there were there every day because the kids. So, you know, it was easily double digit people in that house at all times. So, um, that was one thing that I do. I do remember a lot. Let, let's do this then. Um, going back to age, you know, as young as you can remember, at least until, Let's say maybe eight years old or so. Let's let's kind of describe the various places and conditions we lived in because they did change and they changed quite frequently. I, I guess I'll start. So I grew up in a single parent household. My mother, she had me when she was about 17 years old. My father was maybe 18. They were both high school students and my mother she got kicked out of her house. Now, I'm not sure if it's uh, as a result, you know, of her being pregnant, 
but I think that might have had something to do with it. So she moved in with my father, who lived at his mother's house, which was my grandmother. And my father was an abusive dick, basically. So um, there was definitely verbal abuse. There was uh, physical abuse, just abuse and controlling and things of that nature. So my mother finally, she, you know, got tired of it. And one day she packed her shit and left and she didn't have anywhere to go. So none of her family members took her in. You know, she did have sisters and brothers in the area who were for all intents and purposes. They were stable. They um, they had houses, they had places to live. But no, um, nobody, you know, extended their hand and said, hey, you know, while you get through this, you can um, you could stay here, crash here or whatever. So we ended up in a homeless shelter for women and children in Fairfax City, Virginia. It was, um, I believe it was a church. No, it might have been a county run program. And they paired my mother up with a roommate from the same shelter. Another woman, her name was Tina, um, and she had a son. So they paired them up and put them in an apartment on government assistance, a two bedroom, one bathroom apartment that we all four of us shared. And it was in this place in Alexandria called Chigilagua. Chig- ah, here we go with that shit. Chiri- Chigilagua. Chiri- Chirilagua. <laughs> Chirio. Man, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was in basically one of the nastiest, and no disrespect to the people that live there, because it is, it, it's highly populated with um, a Salvadorians. And I, I think it's mostly a Salvadorians, huh? Yeah, Chirilagua is named after a city in El Salvador. And that neighborhood is torn down now. The one that Damn. you lived in, where, where you and my brother live. So that's that's gone now. They tore that down. Damn, man. Yeah, they built them nice-ass condos or townhouses or whatever there. Man. So anyway, to kind of um, speed through it, we lived in a rat and roach-infested um, apartment on Nota Bean Drive. That, that's where we were. With We had a shitty-ass landlord. And we didn't have any heat or any AC. So during the winters, the oven was the heat during the summers, (laughs) open them damn windows and let that 95 degree air blow through there. And like, I just remember to me that that was normal and it, it was normal to me because that's all I knew. I don't I still to this day, I don't remember much about the homeless shelter, but we were there for maybe close to a year. And. I do vaguely remember living on Nota Bean and not being allowed to go outside because the area was so bad. My mama used to have to keep me inside. And we we stayed there for a couple of years before we moved to the west side. And the man, the contrast was it was a stark contrast. Like we went to like a normal a normal poor people's apartment from a rundown, shitty ass slum uh basically a a slum that's what it was so some of some of the key things that i do remember though is the roaches the rats the people shooting up in the hallways people smoking crack in the hallways at that time i didn't know what crack was but that smell like that's a smell that you just don't forget and it was later on in life when i smelled that smell again and i'm like Yo, what the fuck? And someone pointed out to me that somebody is smoking crack. I'm like, oh, shit. So that's what they was doing in the hallways. But yeah, real fucked up. Uh, Mama used to send me to the store with uh, food stamps because back in the day, 
food stamps were paper. And if you bought something, you would get cash change. Yeah. Just real quick, man. I want to go into my background. You know, I I lived in the, in the, I was born in the projects. I got three siblings, different father than me. At that time, I was the first mixed person in my family, you know, so I stuck out, stuck out like a sore thumb, born in the projects. I was the light skinned boy outside. You know, that was fine. I didn't have, I don't, I don't recall any issues young, you know, like that. I just know we were outside a lot. And when, you know, I remember vividly, we were like two and three walking around, playing in the street. I was throwing rocks at the school bus. Um, the projects I used to live in, they used to have these big cement blocks in one of the courtyards. They took them down now, but I can remember running and jumping over all, all of them. And, you know, I remember running through the back alleys and bur- busted out cars and people being in them. Um, and that was regular, man. We, I mean, it was fun, I think, because it was so many of us. Um, when it's so many people around, it's distractions. My granddad was at work a lot because he lived with us. My grandma, she lived with us. My mom, my aunts. I had a couple aunts that, that lived on the other side of the projects. My uncles, one of my uncles lived outside of the house. My mom had an old uh, Vega that would break down all the time. <laughs> my uncle ended up wrecking it. The thing about the projects that I remember the most, though, is moving out. I remember everybody was just doing a lot of stuff. And we used to have this mar- this little marble table. And I remember sitting on it outside. And I was just wondering, what are we all doing? And that was the day we moved out. The whole family pretty much moved out at the same time. My granddad, grandma, they moved into an actual house um, in Fairfax County uh, down the highway. And a few of my you know, aunts and uncles went there with them. But um, we ended up moving to Fayette Court on the south side. And they're condos now. They weren't condos when we lived there. <laughs> you know, Dan, right across the street from the lease center. I, I know you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. So um, that was where apparently we were on Section 8 because, um, you know, my father lived with my grandfather on, on the west side. And um, so I didn't live. We didn't live with him yet. I didn't move in with my father until after my granddad died and I was in second grade. So um, I can remember when my father would buy stuff. My mom would say, leave that at your granddad's house. Don't bring that. Don't bring that home. You can't bring that to the apartment or clean up real good. Y'all, the, the inspector coming. And I didn't think nothing of it. I thought everybody had inspectors come. You know, I remember having to hide stuff or or making sure everything was real clean. You know, I remember all that stuff, man. So um, I, I can attest to the roaches, man. I, I remember the roaches. We had white roaches. I swear to God, we had every species of roach. We had the flying and roaches. albino joints. Yeah, I remember I, you turn the lights on. I remember the thing was, I tell me if, if you if you uh heard this before, Dan. My mom used to say, hey, don't wear white because if the roaches see you in white, they fly at you. Hell no, nah, I ain't never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That was what we was told. We was like, if you wear white, because we had the flying roaches too. It was like, if you wear white, the roach going to fly at you. So we had them roaches, man. We had the mice. I remember once we had mice and we put the little mouse little mouse bait down with the little green pellets and instead of eating it it pissed in it you kind of in the time think of it as fun but when you grow up you start to see little things you're like damn i didn't never think about that as being strange when i was a kid some some of the things that we had to do was it, it really i look back at it now and i'm like yo that was unacceptable like you mentioned the roaches right we had a rule man whenever company was coming over you leave the lights on for days because <laughs> the roaches come out in the dark and yeah. them joints scatter and try to hide when the lights come on. So if we knew somebody was coming over like way ahead of time, 
we used to <laughs> we used to leave all the lights on for like two, three days in a row. Like, don't even turn them off. And that's like <laughs> signaling the roaches. Hey, man, y'all got to chill for a little while. Don't don't come through. <laughs> man, I remember like I used to have a thing, you know, when you're a little kid, you have a cup. So I remember mm-hmm. one time I remember this vividly. I remember one time it was a yellow cup in the bathroom on a bathroom sink. So I just put a little bit of water in it and, and drank it. And then I remember something was in my mouth. I said, oh, and we call them big bugs. Some people call them water bugs, then real big roaches. Right. Uh-huh. We said, oh, it's a big bug. It was a big bug in a cup and it was in my mouth. So I remember I just spit it out and looked at it and said, oh, man, that was a roach. And then I man. just put more water in a cup and just drank it again. I didn't care that it was, if it was a big bug of roach in my mouth today as an adult, I'd probably call the, call the ambulance. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, 911. <laughs> Got a roach in my mouth. <laughs> man, you know, I'm going to tell you like this. I don't care what nobody say, man. You, you ain't lived in real fucked up poverty conditions in the hood, as we like to say. If you have never had a roach in your mouth or you never busted your head on one of them damn radiators. that That's like yeah. a rite of passage, man. Yo, we had we we did have we had the albino rats with the pink eyes. Mm-hmm. We had the regular dark black rats. And it was nothing to be sitting in the bathtub and see rats running around in the damn bathroom. Right. And again, still as like a let's say a three, four, five. Even even up to like six ish, um, that shit was normal, man. And I wasn't even like embarrassed. Like if a friend from school would come over, most of my friends lived in different areas than where we lived. In um, my, is that considered Arlandria? Because I, I don't want to keep saying chicken. Yeah, Iowa. It's, it's it's considered yeah, it's considered Arlandria. So let's go with that. While we were living in Arlandria, all of all of my friends, they lived either in the projects um, in Queens. You remember Queens Row? Uh, uh-huh. Delray, West Side, just like and when they would come over, it I would not be embarrassed that we had roaches crawling all over shit, rats all over the place. Because, again, I thought that shit was fucking normal. Like I thought. I'm not going to say I thought that's how everyone else lived, but I'm going to say I didn't bother thinking like, yo, I wonder how everyone else lives, you know. So there there were multiple times when I can vividly remember not having food. Right. And my mother wasn't the type of person who would want to ask anybody for anything like I, I don't know what the hell the problem between my mother and her siblings or her parents were, like I said, uh, she ended up pregnant and living at my father's mother's house. Um, she ended up from their abusive, toxic ass relationship. She ended up in a homeless shelter for women and children. And then she ended up on government assistance in one of the shittiest parts of town you could possibly live in without actually going to Southeast D.C. And it's like they were all there. They were all doing fairly well. And I I don't know what the issue was between her and her family to where it's like she they no one extended extended a hand and said, hey, let me let me give you a hand. I know you're in a fucked up situation. Right. I can say wholeheartedly today i have multiple siblings multiple brothers and sisters 
if they ever ended up in the same predicament that my mother was in, uh, you know, years and years ago. All right. Let's say and this this is not the case, but let's say it's the case that I don't fuck with them. Right. I don't trust them. I don't want them in my house. OK, that's fine. But they have a fucking infant child. Right. So y'all going to sit here and basically make this infant child suffer because of either some moral some. I, I don't know. what. Again, I'm just speculating that they didn't agree with my mother either having a baby or having a baby with my father. So as a result of that, I have to suffer um, like basically living and witnessing an abusive relationship of uh, witnessing my father abuse my mother and then being in a in again a homeless shelter it's like yo if i don't fuck with you i don't fuck with you that's cool but an innocent child an infant at that yo send your kid down your your kid can stay here with us and you know i hope you get back on your feet but you're an adult so you you have the means to do so. But but a child, man, I mean, yo, how fucked up is that? And then, you know, I have a problem these days, again, as an adult, looking these motherfuckers in their faces like, you know, everyone wants to tell me, oh, you're doing so well. Look at how great you are. You know, look at how you turned out. I'm like, yeah, no thanks to you, motherfucker. Shit. <laughs> so, uh, yo, what's your, what's your take on that right quick, P? Because I know you have multiple children. You know, I, I'm kind of torn on that subject. Because I've seen people take advantage of others by using their kids, right? So in theory, I'd be like, man, you know, you ain't, you, you know, you need some help with the kid. I can't let the kid be homeless. But at the same time, sometimes people will be like, yeah, they ain't going to let, they ain't going to let me be, be homeless with the kid. You know, and I don't know, man, like I, I kind of has had so, <laughs> I'm trying to tread lightly. I've had so many situations with people that. I kind of, okay, I say this to my wife a lot. I say, we had a, when you have a really large family, you kind of section yourself off. And the large family ends up separating into smaller units. And, it, you know, and the sometimes the bigger the family, the less contact. And I think that's what goes on in our case. I don't really tell people a lot what goes on and people don't tell me. And we, it's not really a thing where you go out of your way to help somebody else. And that's not because... We're saying, oh, you know, fuck them. I don't fuck with them. No, it, you know, it's usually things that happen or a series of events that kind of happen. So I'm kind of jaded towards a lot of stuff outside mm -hmm. of just a few people like my siblings, obviously, you know. Um, but I don't know, man. It's just it's one of those things. I mean, I, people use you. I'm, I'm not saying this is your case. I'm just saying, like, in, in my in my take on if this was similar to me. I know a lot of people that use people and try to use kids as a resource to get out of doing what they supposed to do for their kid and end up pushing it off on you. Right, man. That's why I, I would kind of be hesitant. Now, I'm not that that's not in any way um, related to your story and your situation. I'm just speaking from what I would be concerned about if, if people in my life, <laughs> you know, the people in my life did something like that. Right. And that, and that's exactly why I said, yo, you know, fuck you. You're an adult and not saying that I would say this, um, but, you know, to each their own. Um, fuck you. You're an adult. Give me your child while you get back on your uh, feet, because at this time I, I had to be two years old like that. That's no place for a two year old, especially a two year old that has family like my entire family in the immediate area. 
It's not like we were down in New Orleans and didn't have anybody, didn't know anybody. Yo, my entire fucking family was there. So, you know, again, I, I look at them like, fuck y'all. You know, I mean, I, I I try not to hold anything against them because, like I said at the top, I don't know what what the issue was between her and her family. All I know is a child shouldn't have to suffer, especially if there's options to where um, that child could be taken care of, whether it be uh, temporarily or permanently, you know. So, uh, P, let, let, let's move on a little bit. Let's say like first, second, third, fourth grade. Um, does anything again, your living conditions, your um, environment, does anything jump out at you? Well, I didn't move into the west side from the south side where we was on Section 8. We didn't move from there until uh, 1990. My granddad died in 89, and um, he, lived, my fa- he, lived, he and my father lived together on the west side. So once my granddad died, we moved in with my dad. My mom and my father ended up getting married. My last name changed. Um, <laughs> but I mentioned home inspections in the other apartment. Well, even as it, it took me until an adult to really think about the fact that we didn't have home inspections there. So that's what kind of made me realize, damn, that was Section 8 because we didn't have home inspections in van on the west side where we lived with my father. So, you know, financially, things got better when we moved in with my dad. I mean, my father obviously was helping us before that, taking care of us before that. But we weren't rolling in Dodo. You know, we ended up being in that apartment up until 98. And by that time, I was about to be a grown up in, <laughs> in less than two years and I'd moved out. So, I, you know, um, but in the neighborhood, you know, I remember that we had the basketball court. They ended up tearing that down. I remember as a kid, um, older dudes, Rambo, I was a guy named Rambo, all the older heads, you know, they probably in their 50s, almost 60 now. Um, you know, dudes standing out of the basketball court. The cops was always at the basketball court. We had neighborhood security that would harass you, plus the cops. I remember they had a blacktop that you can reach under. And I remember as a kid, I used to always wonder the basketball court, man, why all them dudes keep reaching under that blacktop? Well, that's what they were, that was the stash. And um, it was just a lot of things as a kid. I'm like, man, all the old heads was out there selling drugs, you know, getting in fights. But yet at the same time, they really didn't make it obvious. And, and that's something like, like I said, man, as a kid, you just think they cool, you know, and then you see him whooping somebody's ass one day and you're like, damn, why Rambo beating that man up? And you see the cops come. All right, Dan, real quick. I know I'm rambling. The one thing that I, that used to make me upset though, when I was young was the turnover rate. And that's something else that happens when you're on section eight, you know, you'd have friends you make and then they'd be gone and you have another round of friends then they'd be gone. Another round of friends, then they'd be gone. So you know, it was just you really couldn't get accustomed to to being used to anything. You're right about that, man. I, that's something I didn't think of ever until just now. People you were friends with one school year, you look up the next school year, <laughs> they somebody else living in their apartment. We we used to move around a lot when when we were on the system. And especially as my mother was trying to get back on her feet, so to speak. I mean, she worked at uh, Wendy's, a Wendy's down the highway on Route 1. And we lived in Arlandria. We didn't have a car. We didn't get our first car until like the 90s, the probably early 90s, maybe 92, 93. And the car that my mother first got in 1993 was like a 1980 Pontiac uh, Bonneville. But she was psyched when she got that. She took her tax refund one year. I want to say she bought that car for about $2,000 and this is early 90s money. So that's probably equivalent of maybe five now. 
prior to that, we were catching buses everywhere. And as you know, Pete, there's especially when you're going down the highway from somewhere like Arlandria, there's no one bus. It's you catching a couple of buses. You might be catching a damn uh the subway, the metro train. And um, a connector bus. Yeah, connector bus, dash bus. Yo, we had Dash didn't we, go to Dash didn't go to Arlandria at that time, did it? I don't remember. Yeah, I just remember catching a shit ton of buses and then having to walk to the bus barn over off of Glebe Road to go by the Metro passes that lasted like a month or whatever. So my mom's um ended up becoming a secretary in the federal government because DC's a lot of our, our jobs are federal government jobs. So we made a little more money and we were finally able to get up out of that slum on um Nota Bean Drive in Arlandria. We moved to the west side into um damn what the Crestview. Uh-huh. Man, that that was like a real poor people's apartment. But after living in those conditions over in Arlandria, it's like you looking at it like, yo, this shit's nice. It's big. It's spacious. Open, <laughs> open concept. Like, nah, nigga, they just ain't put up no walls. <laughs> Man. Open, open. Con- uh, it has a loft. <laughs> Man, we got, um, we got a little cat. Like, it's just weird shit. But I, I guess to me. That was more on par with normalcy, like other kids, because th- by this time I'd been to different friends' house. I done been to my relatives' houses. I'm like, yo, don't nobody live like we live, man. So we were there for a good from 90 from no 80 shit, 88 to 93. I think it was first, second, third and fourth grade. And what's wild is. There we had, we still, it was a fairly high crime area for the West side. We had a lot of, um, again, a lot of El Salvadorians, a lot of Ethiopians there, a lot of Africans. So it was a, it was a mixed, uh, neighborhood, but I remember the first time I ever stole something, I, I was taught by the kids in the neighborhood how to steal. Like I, I never stole anything prior, prior to then. And this uh dude I used to hang with, uh Chris, white <laughs> white boy Chris, that's what we called him. But uh yeah, we used to and Sammy, you remember Sammy? <laughs> yeah. We used to go down to Safeway and they would teach me how to steal shit. So I'd be coming home with like again, we stole shit that normal people paid for. Hot dogs. Yo, we stole hot dogs. Sammy stole a grill. Um, <laughs> man, this this nigga had a pair of basketball shorts and a t-shirt on, and shoved one of them collapsible grills into his pants and walked out. And we stole we we basically stole fucking as, as necessities, man, like food. So then we would go over there in the in the little courtyard and set up the little grill that that he stole. Uh, grill the hot dogs. Uh, put some meat on the on the damn grill. Some uh, someone would take some hamburger or whatever. And these are like essentials, man. And that's how we would eat. Like our our parents, a, a lot of the times, we didn't get three meals a day. We over the summer, unless you went to summer school, because we we depended on school to feed us. We depended on during the school year breakfast. You get there a little early, you get breakfast, you get lunch, 
And then a lot of times if you stayed late, you would get uh, snacks like if you did intramural, what's it called? Intramural activities or so. Yeah, man. Over the summer, if we didn't have summer school or we weren't at the um, I went to the JC's summer camp, whatever that shit was called. Uh, JC's, they used to have a haunted house there, too. Remember that? Uh huh, man. That, that you know, was it the one? Up. Was that the one on uh, on Duke Street? Nah, we stayed. Um, we damn, we went. I went to Jefferson Houston, and then I ended up going to the Mount Vernon. They had one at every uh school. That's about all I remember from there. Is other being around other poor kids who taught me how to how to do poor people shit, like fucking stealing shit. And uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it, man. So moving forward, right. And and what I'm doing too for the listeners is we're we're just taking different times in our lives and trying to kind of paint a picture so you guys who who do relate know what the fuck we're talking about and who don't relate kind of get an idea of why why we're so fucked up and people like us are so fucked up. Well, see the so, one thing though that is that I that I fear may be getting lost in translation though um, is our is the is the era. And the environment, because a lot of the stuff in my case, yeah, I I was, yeah, I lived in the projects and I lived in South Section 8 in, on the South Side, but I also lived on the West Side, you know, even though the neighborhood had a lot of Section 8 in it, it wasn't a bad neighborhood. Yeah, you had crime. So, okay. you know, when I lived with my father on the West Side, when we all moved in, he took care of all of us, me and my three siblings. And, you know, we like, you know, my experience wasn't like Dan's, you know, we had food, um, but you know we weren't struggling. We we didn't have luxurious things, and I didn't get no. I know these kids nowadays think that they're supposed to have Jordans. I never had a pair of Jordans in my damn life. But the thing is, Dan, like I know you're getting ready to go to this. Um, seeing that I spent a substantial portion of my life on the other side of town before I moved to the West Side, I had a lot of friends that was still on that was still on those sides of town. So by the time I got to middle school, I never felt like I fit in going to the middle school I had to go to. Cause I didn't know a lot of those kids. Most of my friends were going to the school. Me and Dan ended up going to GW. I had to transfer out of GW. So what ended up happening was I reconnected with a lot of those friends that I had as a kid. A lot of those friends that my family was friends with from all, you know, all these other decades prior, or just even people like you, Dan, who were pretty much just like all the friends that I had growing up, pretty much how I was pretty much how like my brother was. Cause we weren't, we didn't, I, me and my family didn't fit that mold of middle class West Side people. Mm-hmm. We always was fighting. We you know we, we were different. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it kind of comes with who your family is, the environment you've been around and the people, you know, how you was used to, you know, we, we always were fighters. So I started gravitating towards going uptown, going down the hole, going to Del Rey, going all over, hanging out with Dan. I'm catching the dash bus to school every day instead of getting a ride, going to the school on the other side of town. I'm taking my time and going to hang out with Dan and Del Rey, you know? So <laughs> even though I didn't, my experience, my experience was different than Dan's at that point in our lives. I was still in the same stuff, doing the same stuff. And I was a thief too. I remember I stole that whole fifth of wild Irish rose from the Seven Eleven <laughs> that one night. And I just walked out. I said, here you go, man. <laughs> that, and, and that, you know, funny that you bring up the wild Irish rose, like, I, I want to say so moving moving you know a little forward in life uh, let's say around 12 13 14 years old I met P when we were what like 12 years old we were and in 7th seventh, 7th seventh grade it was in Miss Merrill Casey class dang. yeah man shit that was we was like what 11 then yeah. shit 
yeah, something, something like that, man. But um, prior, okay, so I, I mentioned how I was taught how to steal shit, right? I, I still never was big on stealing because the older I got, I saw more of my friends in handcuffs and in the back of police cars getting taken home to their mothers or their fathers or whoever was home. And I'm like, nah, man, police ain't bringing me home telling my mama I stole some shit. Um, By this time, we had moved out of the West Side apartment. My mama got in some kind of a program that helped her buy a house. First time home buyer uh, program. And let me tell you something. The houses now this is what's really fucked up, too. And this this pisses me off. I'm trying not to rant too much on it. The houses that these realtors showed my mother being they knew like this was before the Internet. You couldn't get online and find houses. You had to ride around with the damn real estate agent. Right. So the real estate agent knew my mama was poor because of the neighborhood that he was picking her up and, you know, driving her to all these houses. Right. And um, it's like he only showed us houses in the hood, no matter which part of town we went to, whether it be uh, the projects like um, I forget that that area. But once you pass the uh, Charles Houston and it's over on the right where most of the people own their homes. You remember where Mike was the name? Mike Clark used to live. Yeah, but you know what? If if it was funny real quick, my family had a house like that on the south side off St. Asaph Street and um, Banks family had a house right over there. So, man, yeah. if your mom would have bought that house, that house probably worth about $800,000 now. Shit, the house that she did end up getting, man, that, that joint was worth about four four fifty at its peak. But um, back then, they they were shitty houses. And yeah, no, back then, people was like, don't nobody want to live, you know, nobody want to live in old town. Uh-huh. Now, if you say old town, people are like, damn, you live in old town. <laughs> y'all rich and damn, damn straight y'all rich. But <laughs> we we were riding around neighborhood to neighborhood. We never once looked at a halfway decent house. And back then in the 90s, this was 93. The I, I forget. I was probably like 10, 11 years old. Um, shit, Yeah, I would have been. Yeah, about 10 years old. But I, I never forget. Looking back now, the difference between a house that cost, let's say, a hundred thousand dollars back then, right, eighty to a hundred thousand dollars, and a house that cost one forty, one fifty ish, there was a huge difference, man. We're we're talking about one one thirty, one forty, one fifty back home back in the early nineties would have got you a single family house in a halfway decent neighborhood, but nah. Didn't bother showing her any of those. They only showed her houses in bad, like just rundown neighborhoods. Um, it's, it's like I, I look at that shit now and it makes me angry because they, there were lots of options because my mama ended up paying one hundred and ten thousand dollars for that house in Del Rey. The house wasn't worth one hundred and ten thousand dollars. That house might have been worth ninety but she was taken advantage of. She has never been, even to this day, has never been financially literate, which is why I'm so um like hell bent on being financially literate and not not blowing money or recklessly spending money. Right. Dan, so, Dan real, real quick, real quick, real quick. For those that don't know, Dan, for those that don't know, Dan, Dan has always reminded me of Terry Crews from a. Uh, Everybody hates uh, Chris. 
I'm trying to tell you, if you don't know, this dude can pinch a penny like no other. Like, I can make change like, from a penny. <laughs> I'm telling you, he can make change from a penny. It's cr- and it's always been that way, man. I'm even going back to you know if you if you give Dan five dollars and then he buys you a a a, a drink from Burger King for fifty cent and then buys you a Snickers bar uh, two weeks later for seventy five cent. That's going. Yeah. That's part of that money that he's paying you back from that five you gave him. He know how to save some money. Hell yeah, man! I, I've always been like that because I I I told myself I would never be like my mother as far as being financially illiterate. And you know what? I'm. That's not to say that I'm some damn finance guru, but I can tell you I know how to hold on to money. And like you know, during during that time, I watched so many people take advantage of her car car dealers like she she ended up um making a little more money in the government after she got a raise in her grade and with with more money like most poor people you want to buy more things and nicer things so she went out wanted to buy a nice car she ended up with uh, another damn Pontiac she got a Grand Prix a 90 something Grand Prix and it's like a lot of the money she blew and I watched her get taken advantage of credit card debt out of this world. Um, so I, I forget where I was going, but what I'll say is I met P around this time at GW and like, thanks to P I started smoking cigarettes, started smoking weed. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I was a bad influence on everybody, man. Hell yeah, man. Like everyone thought you was like like 20 years old in eighth grade, like Marcel. What's his name? Marcellus? Marcel? What's that nigga name? <laughs> like Marcel. Marcel, yeah. Well, the reason why is because I grew up around, I got a lot of uncles and I got a much older, a, older, a brother that's much older than me. So I always kind of been around stuff that was older than my age. A lot of my friends, you know, they didn't have older siblings. They didn't have, you know, uncles that range from, 20 years older than them, 30 years older than them to only maybe 10 years older than them. So I'd always had exposure to a lot of things, which is what brought me to uh, doing grown up things when I was only 12, smoking, hanging out, you know, doing all kinds of dumb stuff, being a bad influence on all my friends. Yeah, it was it was rough. But, you know, the one thing, though, the one thing that I refused to do was disrespect my my parents and embarrass my family. Dan said something about the last thing that he was going to do was have some cop bring him home and tell his mom he stole. And I kind of, I'm not trying to turn this into a my generation versus this generation stuff, but I think a major difference between us and our generations and above uh, uh, before versus these newer ones is we had a code of things that we just wouldn't do. We all, we felt like I'm not going to embarrass my mom. I'm not going to embarrass my family or, uh, you know, cause like we said, we all came from being, you know, lower statuses than we are now. And I think that when growing up, when you don't have a lot of stuff, you have a you, you do have pride. And what's the thing they always say? Last thing you got is your name, your honor, your word. And we damn I damn sure was not going to embarrass my mom or my father, who was well known in the city. I might have done all that other dumb stuff. But, you know, I tell my wife this. All right. I'm going to give an example how kids hang out and lie to their parents and go run around and their parents don't know where they are. Well, even though I was out with Dan, we was running the streets all night, one, two, three, four in the morning. I never told my mom I was going somewhere and then wasn't there. So I would say, I'm going to stay at Dan's house tonight. All right. And me and Dan, I would go to Dan's house and we go run around and do dumb stuff. 
But um, I just wouldn't outright just lie. And I think that that's kind of a moral code kind of separates us from <laughs> some of these other people that we that we knew who made themselves and their families look terrible. After I met P, you know, I started I did start smoking cigarettes, started smoking um, weed, started drinking, became a, a heavy, heavy drinker and eventually an alcoholic. Um, and I'm glad I did that at such a young age. I, I did that at the age of like 13 through 17 or 18, because as an adult, being an alcoholic, the consequences are a lot more. Uh, you you can fuck your entire life up as an adult, whereas as a child, as a young teenager, not so much. You have time to recover and rebound. But um, I started skipping school and, you know, I was hanging out with the thugs, the drug dealers and uh, all the people that you probably wouldn't want your children hanging out with. That's who that's who P and I both hung out with. So started selling drugs, started skipping school. I was um, selling crack, actually. Now, not that, you know, I wasn't a big drug dealer. It was more like $20 rock here, $20 rock there. And, you know, it wasn't, um, it one one hundred 100% I was not a big time drug dealer, nor that I, nor did I have a lot of money. But, um, you know, what, what ended up happening is I told the story over on black law too, is when you skip school, you had an automated system called the house and it called at the exact same time every time. So let's just say 5.50 p.m. As long as you answered that phone and picked it up and hung it up, you you didn't have to sweat it. Mother never knew until she did know. And subsequently, I actually, I, I got arrested. Uh, cops showed up at the house. I, again, told the story on Black Law and Legal Lies. It's called Juvenile Hell. Also uh, referencing a Mob Deep album for you hip-hop heads out here. And... I did three, three and a half years in juvenile detention because of this. But uh, I say that to say, again, I know Timmy or, you know, my my white counterpart and not to single out white people, but my white counterparts would they they could have done the exact same thing as far as skipping school. They wouldn't have gotten three and a half years in a juvenile detention center. We were like routinely sentenced to like all of my friends all the people I grew up with routinely sentenced to the juvenile detention center for crimes that just the the sentences didn't fit the crimes and I mean we had people shipped to Beaumont downstate for again for small crimes so uh P between let's say 13 and 17 because I think that's when we kind of came into our own we we were basically adults by that time, man. Um, we, we we stood out in you know as far as the environment and things going on around you. Well, one thing that stands out is lonely. I was the only person out of all my friends to graduate because after eighth grade, you had already gotten locked up, dropped out pretty much. Um, then came back, but you know how that went. It was kind of sparingly after that. Uh, my other friend dropped out, got locked up. I was I started eighth grade. You know, with all my friends hanging out and by the end of eighth grade, I was the only one left. And I ended up, you know, from 14, I started smoking um, when I was about 12, smoking weed. I was still my brother's. He didn't know it. And then he found out later on, but it was too late at that point. He ended up getting, um, you know, getting in some trouble. So 
after he left, it was just me. And this is we lived in the apartment. Um, I was smoking heavily, man. I mean, we were smoking every day. I was going to Haynes Point. You know, that's the, we used to call it the park in D.C. I was like 13, man. Like, what am I doing at Haynes Point smoking in the bathrooms, uh, watching off of park police? You know, <laughs> so I just remember those years had a lot of drug use. But the thing was, um, I wasn't doing stuff that kids do. You know, we weren't playing video games. I, I stopped at Super Nintendo, right? I stopped playing video games. I stopped, I stopped playing sports. I stopped doing kid stuff and just pretty much exclusively went to doing drugs and selling them. And that was a problem because like when I, all right, let me fast forward to 98, pretty much my whole life from age 13 to um, about 15 to 16 was a blur of just doing too much weed and stuff. All my friends was gone. I met a bunch of new friends when I got to ninth grade. I had to take the bus with all these kids in my neighborhood that I didn't know lived there because I never hung around my own neighborhood for years. I was going to hang out with Dan on the other side of town. And then they weren't doing the same stuff that I was doing. They weren't smoking. They were still playing rec football. They still played video games. They watched wrestling. Lord, I didn't watch wrestling since damn 91 or something up at that point. This is like 97. So um, I started hanging out with them. Start throwing a football in the street. I was still smoking cigars and weed and stuff, but I kind of cut back on the weed and still smoke cigars. Um, I tried to get them to start, but they wouldn't. And that was amazing to me. I'm like, damn, these kids don't want to smoke. So I ended up stopping um, the first time I stopped. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, they would come over my house and we started playing Super Nintendo again. I had Mortal Kombat 2 and all that. And it's funny because at that point, PlayStation and all that stuff had already been out. And then Dan had got out a couple of times. He started coming back around. I was hanging out with my two new friends. And I remember like we almost beat one of them up before we actually before I actually <laughs> yeah, met him to, again. <laughs> we about, about to whoop, whoop his, his ass, ass out there, joint, man. <laughs> He's about to whoop his ass because he had on a little sweatsuit. A red so, um, sweatsuit. <laughs> yeah, look looking like a look like some big red. Man, that nigga looked like somebody <laughs> Valentine, yo. Yo, he's like, who is this nigga? Let's whoop his ass. Man. But I ended up realizing, but it's funny that I ended up realizing all the stuff I missed out on. Because my friend that I used to hang out with since I was a little kid across the street, we got in trouble for smoking. Stopped hanging out with him. Um, I started hanging out with my new friends. We started playing video games. They was watching wrestling. So I started watching wrestling. I was like, damn, this shit is actually entertaining. I guess apparently I got back into it at the right time when like The Rock and everybody was around. Mm -hmm. And for about a year and a half, I was actually happy. I was like, damn, this is, this is all right. I missed out on all this stuff all this time. Then... Everybody moved in 98. My father got a house. My friends moved away. My other friend moved to New York. Um, you know, Dan was in and out. And at that point, Dan was getting more stable too, but um, everything changed. And then around that time again, I started gravitating back to skipping school every day. I mean, ninth grade, I went to school most of the time, but 10th grade, I pretty much said, fuck school. Um, big ass fight gotten, gotten to, um, you know, front of the school. Um, they put me in uh, emotionally disturbed kids classes. And at first I was mad, but then I realized I could skip school every day and not do no work and still get good grades. Mm -hmm. So to make a long story short, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, I had an IEP. When they took me out of the IEP classes in 11th grade, me and you, I don't know if you remember this, Dan, I, we went to Miss Eldridge's office and I said, put me back in these, you know, excuse my English, I'm going to be blunt. This is what I said. Put me back in them dumb kids classes because I don't got to do no work in there. <laughs> so... Yeah. She put me back in and I skipped school. No lie. I skipped school every day. I was going to Maryland. I was driving. I was going to Maryland every day in 11th and 12th grade. Man, I never I went to school. I, I graduated with a three. Dan, I graduated with a 
my last report card, if you look at my, I got my record. If you could see my report card, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, FFDFC, FFFDF, FFDFF. Then some 12th, 12th grade, A, 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 B, A, A, C. Then you had the blood happened? code, young. A, B, A, C, C. I, <laughs> <laughs> I had the code and I, I had the cheat code to school and I manipulated my way through school. I did the cheat code through school and then, you know, here mm-hmm. I am now. I mean, I ended up having a lot of kids and really young, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, to make a long story short, Dan, I, you know, we just kind of, I just did a lot of dumb shit, man. And I had a good mixture of every type of exposure I can have. But I guess the moral of my story is even small exposure to the wrong stuff, if it's naturally in you already, is really hard to get away from it. Yeah. Man, I and like during that time, uh, ninety eight ish, um, I I was still kind of in and out of the detention centers until I think what ninety nine, but I like it, it's funny what P says when he when he says exposure just a little bit right. Going back to alcohol, like my father is an alcoholic, and it, <laughs> there's no no nice way to put that that motherfucker's a stone cold drunk he's a functioning alcoholic but an alcoholic nevertheless and seeing him drink and drink and drink and drink when i was a kid right so to kind of to kind of try to tie all my shit together right i'm gonna just kind of quickly go back and say from being being born being in a um a toxic abusive my mother being in a toxic abusive relationship with my father then going to a homeless shelter then going to live in the straight up slum slums like worse than poor people slums then moving to where regular poor people live and then getting my mother buying a house in in the hood amongst other poor people my neighborhood's nickname was section eight because everyone was on section eight <laughs> just just that a, a little bit of exposure to alcohol it, it's straight up i mean that's all i needed to to jump start with whatever genetic predisposition i had or it could have been uh, again learned behavior and yo man i i remember trying to manipulate my way through school but eventually i i, I just stopped going so i dropped out of school and i i got a ged which at the time I was like, Psh, I don't give a fuck about no GED, but I think it was court ordered. So I had to go get it if I'm not mistaken. And it's like, I was still running the streets, still doing the same shit, man. And just the stuff, the type of stuff that we saw and witnessed again, th- this whole episode is to kind of, to to show the contrast, you know, as far as how we grew up and how a normal person I'm not quite sure how to describe uh, how a normal person grew up, but I know the shit we saw. Like it was very unnatural the way we lived as far as being poor and living in the inner city was very unnatural. So I know lots of people even to this day that grew up in the same environment, not same environment, same community as us that, you know, their their parents might have had a little bit more money little bit more education and they like all of this stuff. They didn't know this shit was going on right under their noses in the same city. So sometimes on the same damn street. <laughs> yeah. They didn't, didn't know what, what the fuck was going on, man. 
So, you know, I say all that to say that I attribute a lot of my my mental health issues, especially my anxiety to growing up like this, man. I mean, we've been in multiple P and I both have been in multiple life threatening situations where we could have died. And again, we we were like adults at 13, 14, 15, 16, not to say that we were grown, but we were acting like adults. Like P said, we were on our own. We never had any parental supervision or any adult supervision. And we just kind of like wandered around and getting into shit, man. So, you know, I, I look back now and say, if I had children, this I would never let my children, you know, even be exposed to this shit because it's like it's it's fucked up man it's it's real the fucked up uh p your children right now looking at your children at 13 14 15 years old right if you were to compare them to our generation and how you know you and i were at that age what what are the prime differences that you see yeah i mean one thing is all right let me let me let me kind of go back my mom right at the time i used to wonder man why my mother don't really stop me from doing stuff I learned that it's, she realized, she feels as though, I'm going to let this nigga learn the hard way. Learn on his own. And I didn't get it at first, but then I realized as an adult, I got an older brother. Everything that I did, she didn't went through with him first. So it got to the point when it was like, learn on your own. So I learned through trial and error and mistakes. Now, I had a lot of personal pride and family pride, so I didn't get too wild. It Well, let me take that back. I was really good at not getting caught. I'm the only friend that didn't get locked up and didn't get arrested. I had an older brother teach me a lot. Um, so with my kids, I, you know, issues here and there. I got, a you know, oldest just turned 18. Um, I've done a lot of things to try to keep my kids on the right path. But I've also learned that a lot of people think that you can just tell your kids something and they're, they're going to do it. No, kids have their own mind, too. And you cannot have them exposed to anything that you don't want them exposed to. Somebody else will expose them to it. And if they're if it's in their personality to be drawn to that, then they'll still they'll swallow it up and it'll consume them. If it's not in their all right, for all right, if it's not in their mentality, they won't. Like, for example, I did a lot of drugs, smoking, hanging out, all that stuff. Right. A lot. I was known as the guy that always had it and I was always doing it. I would never drink. I had alcoholics in my family. I had People close to my family or married into the family, die cirrhosis. Um, alcoholism is a major problem. I would never take a drink. And to this day, I still won't take a drink. Never been drunk. Never been buzzed. I just never would drink. Dan mentioned that genetic Nah, man, at one time, on, though, you had your cock in one hand and a hand grenade in the other. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was <laughs> like cock in one hand, <laughs> hand grenade in the other. <laughs> but now, like, I don't, I, I just avoided it. So that's kind of going into the whole thing where I was saying, if it's in your nature, um, you'll you'll gravitate to it. But if if you don't like it or if it's not in your nature, you won't. So that's just kind of like my little lesson, man. You know, my experience coming up versus my kids. It's like all you can do is hope they got a good head on their shoulders. And the best way to limit your kids messing up is try to limit the amount of people that have exposure to your kids, even cousins, yeah, man, all of them, because. Because, man, I'm telling you what we did growing up and the issues that I've had, it is not easy. Well, one of the things that I, I'd say, too, is growing up how we grew up. Right. I actually still to this day. Now, 
mind you, I live now in a in a single family home, a uh, homeowner in the suburbs in a fairly nice neighborhood. Um, I I look at the people around me just as I did back once I started realizing everyone didn't live like we did. And I resented them like I resented yeah. anybody who showed any any signs of kind of what the American dream looks like, like a two parent household, uh, you know, little Timmy getting dropped off at baseball practice and then going out for ice cream with his brothers after like shit that most people would consider normal as part of their childhood. I resented that shit because. Yo, like I said, we were stealing food. So it's like I, I look at that now, even in my neighborhood, I'm looking at all these motherfucking kids in, in the neighborhood like, um, yo, y'all motherfuckers out here like they they don't realize how good they have it because it's all they know. Just yeah. like we didn't realize how bad we had it because it was all we knew. Man, so I, well, I still, I still resent, resent those people too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you too. I resent them too, and I look at people. It's still hard for me to see some of these kids around here, and I'm like, these. And I say this frequently. I say, man, these little bitch ass niggas. They wouldn't have made it where where we came up at. They wouldn't have. You man. know what I'm saying? Now and let me let even me ask you this it, too, but, real quick. Um, yeah, sure. When you moved to to Charlotte and got and married your wife, right? Now mm-hmm. she had she had kids from a, a prior relationship and you had kids from a prior relationship. Your kids grew up a little more in line with how we did as far as things yeah. we were exposed to. And her children grew up in a single family home for all intents and purposes. And like, so what what are the differences that you see just between, I, I guess, I don't want to say mental issues, but let's say personality wise or personality characteristics that you see that are different, that are possibly from the two different upbringings and environments. Well, mine are not really as into doing stuff to impress other people. Mine are fuck you. I do what I want to do because I want to do it. Um, You know, I'm sad to say like I had a hard go as an adult because property value skyrocketed and it's very hard to live where I'm from. So I moved every year or two. So my kids been to my daughter, it's probably been to 11 schools now. And my son has been to about five or six, um, you know, lived in Southeast, lived in PG. A great portion of my adult life I spent in Maryland. So sometimes I actually claim Maryland instead of Alexandria, Virginia. So it's a little different up there versus down here. So, you know, even to this day, I kind of I see other people down here and I get irritated. And I know I'm adult and I shouldn't get irritated, but I get irritated because people look at you like you goddamn crazy. Because you do and say things differently. Now, my son, I think, has been here long enough where he's adjusted pretty well. My daughter, she has a lot of issues with with um, just kind of leaving certain bad influences behind. And I guess it's like we said earlier, man, if you've been exposed to it, it's kind of hard to get away from it. Yeah, man, 100 percent, man. So I guess um, let, let's just wrap up with this right here. You do you I, I know your your diagnosed mental illness comes from your line of work in the fire department. But do you think um, growing up your environment had a negative impact on your mental health as a whole, not necessarily making you mentally ill, but do you think it's impacted your mental health? I think so. Um, I don't think the full force of it is from that, but it contributed. You know, I did a lot of fucked up stuff 
I was a I, I like to beat up people. And I, I didn't I didn't whoop people's asses unprovoked. You know what I'm saying? Did a lot of harm to people. And um, you know, we had to we had a lot of anxiety when we had to be in the wrong neighborhood or you know, you gotta be on alert or you might get jumped or the police might jack you up. So by the time I got in the fire department, I was mellowed out and I started to kind of see people that was beaten up in assaults and you know, cops shooting people and people doing stuff they didn't handle business doing or bad things happening to them. And I started to have a lot of guilt and a lot of things that came back that I'm like, man, I did this. I did that. I can't believe this. And it still bothers me. So yeah. to that respect, I would say yes. Man, I'd, I'd echo that for the most part, you know, like I was saying, um, or I think I might have started saying that. I think the the way we grew up in our environment did definitely give me the anxiety. Now there, there is a genetic, um, I also have a, a genetic predisposition, I guess, to mental illness because a lot of the people before me, my entire family on my father's side suffers from anxiety disorders and depression, but yo, just coming up like we did, I mean, it's almost like even it's going to happen. It It is not, it doesn't help. Let me, let me say that. If you know you're pre, you have a predisposition for, let's say opiate abuse or some shit, right? It doesn't help wow. if you're growing up all around opiates, you know, everywhere you look that, that just doesn't help, man. So, you know, I, I guess I just like to say for a lot of the people and the reason I kind of thought of, thought of even like discussing our past or whatever is, there was a comment that Michael Cohen made, right, where he's like, yeah, Donald Trump and he, he would ride by black neighborhoods and say, "Ooh, look at how these people live. This is disgusting. Only black people could live like this. And it's like, yo, that, that's fucked up on so many levels that we won't get into. But what I will say is nobody chooses to live like that. We we didn't choose that shit. We we inherited that shit and generational poverty like breeds more poverty. None of these people has to be born into these, these conditions. Like, I mean, who, who do you know other than these fucking idiot kids that listen to rap music would say, I want to go live in the hood. I want to live, you know, I want to be in these streets. Like we did that shit out of necessity because if we didn't run the streets with these drug dealers, with these thugs, we would have either gotten our asses fucked up. We would have got killed or some other shit because that's how you acquire protection in the hood is their safety in numbers. And you better hope that your neighborhood accepts you. Luckily for us, our neighborhoods and other neighborhoods accepted us. But again, it's like that's not shit we wanted to do. It's, it's like we almost had to. A lot of the fucked up things we did, we had to do. There was there was no other way. Well, it's like you had to be a nerd or an athlete. And the thing is, people may think that it's more common to be, oh, well, just do be about your business at school. The nerd in the hood is not common. The jock and the athlete that's not getting in trouble, that's not common. There's a reason why a majority, more than half of black people end up going to jail at some point in their life. It's not common to be exceptional. And being, Mm -hmm. frankly, being a book smart, motivated uh, student or or a scholar or athlete in an environment where you're struggling, you know, you got to overcome a lot to be exceptional. Fuck yeah. So let's end with this. P, what advice or what recommendations would you have for people, let, let's say younger adults or even teenagers who who currently live in 
the same type of situations in inner city poverty, drugs. I mean, right now, opiates are the new crack. So if if you could like speak directly to someone, what what would you say to them? Someone young and impressionable. Man, the thing is, though, it's kind of hard because living in Charlotte, I, I've experienced things that I didn't understand myself. Like we lived in D.C. and Alexandria, where it's still relatively small. And, you know, even though you may not have a lot of stores in your neighborhood, you're never far from one. Right. But down here, it's things like food deserts and no jobs and nowhere to go. You know, no rec centers, no nothing. So normally I would say stay busy, try to be that exceptional one to focus on school or grades or find an activity. Everybody's good at something. Find something you're good at. But the problem is, man, in reality, how are you supposed to get to these places to experience these things and get experience and exposure? So I guess all you can say is you just kind of kind of make the best with what you got, man. Just if it's the old the old school thing of needs versus wants, man, if it's something you want, you can't stress about it. If it's something you need, you know what I'm saying? Hopefully what you're doing positively will help take care of what you need. Because typically if you're not doing something positive, you get a bunch of negative in return. Yeah. So do your work. You know what I'm saying? Have a goal. Have a plan. Try to be involved in stuff. It's You know, whether it be in a community or at school, to try to stay busy, man. Um, but the sad thing is a lot of people don't have that opportunity, man. And that's that's the thing that um was kind of lost on me before I moved down here. It's not really places to be a lot of the time. So, yeah, man, it's got I guess what I, I guess to sum it up. You got to have you got to occupy your time with positive things, even if it's hard to find positive things. Yeah, I I mean, I if I had to do the same and speak to someone who was who is currently kind of in the shoes we were in. I don't know. Like, P, I don't know if there is any advice that I could give you. I mean, let me say this. I understand why people join gangs. I understand why people turn to crime. I under like I understand all this shit. Now, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. So I would just like I guess the thing I would do is I would say, look at your family, look at your parents, look at your parents, parents. How did they grow up? Did they grow up the same way? Like, did your parents grow up just like your grandparents who may have grew up like, you know, their parents? If that's the case, you need to tell yourself, I don't want to be like this. And you'll you'll have to, I guess, do some investigation and find out how it is they they got to where they are. Maybe some life decisions they made, maybe, you know, Whatever the case may be, but you need to tell yourself, hey, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to end up where they are. And I'm I'm not saying this to knock anybody. So, you know, don't don't take it the wrong way. But I mean, it's easy to look at a crackhead and say, I don't want to end up like this. Let's see. How did they get like this? They smoke crack. So, you know, it's like, man, you, you have to you have to look at the people that came before you and make a decision. Do you want to be like them? If you want to be like them, continue to follow in their footsteps. If you don't want to be like them, it's it's time to make your own path. And I mean, hopefully whatever it is, you know, but just throw shit against the wall until it sticks. Hopefully it, it gets you out of that um, situation. So I, well, let, let, let me give one thing. Let me let me give one piece of advice real quick. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you jog my you got give me an idea. The one piece of advice I would give is no matter how bad it get, don't start doing drugs. I don't even don't don't stop because just like Dan said, don't do crack if you only be a crackhead. The thing is, though, it is a, a very thin line between 
being successful and having money and a good life to being addicted to drugs and broke. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I will say the one piece of advice is don't, don't do start crack. doing drugs. <laughs> don't, well, I would say I would tell people don't do any of it. Don't if you ain't doing no drugs now, don't start now. I don't care about the advocation of weed nowadays. I wouldn't do that. Don't do none of that shit if you ain't doing it now. Yeah. That's what I'd say. And also, I'm going to piggyback off of that and say, um, well, that that was our episodic um, mention of crack cocaine. But uh, <laughs> look, school and I might catch a little flack for this, but I really don't give a fuck. School is not your way out. A lot of I've seen a lot of people leave the neighborhood to go off to school. Guess where they come after they're done, either getting kicked out of school not being able to afford school anymore or I mean, best case scenario, graduating. Guess where they come? Majority of them come right back home, right back to the neighborhood. And they unless they picked a a very specific major, a good major, they don't get jobs in whatever it is they went to school for. They got all this student loan debt. So being that you got all this debt to pay off, you have to live a certain way and that's with pretty much a again a, a lack of financial resources so don't don't just say my answer to getting out the hood is going to college no that's a step but that's not the answer just a figure it out though you got to make some there. good decisions you got to make some good decisions for that to work out fuck so yeah you can't half ass that if you half ass that you're going to be right back in the same situation yeah 100% man so then in in lieu of remember that time, I just say this for all my brothers out here, my the you know, my uh my strong black brothers out here, go get a white girl pregnant. Go do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's your paycheck, nigga. <laughs> That's your paycheck. <laughs> man. Go so, have some some blue eyed babies and, and post them on Instagram. <laughs> Look, I got a blue eyed devil baby. <laughs> <laughs> man, i guess that, that wraps up the episode unless you there's anything you you want to add i mean i think you know I, I think we did a good job of at least covering basically how we came up our environment we were in in certain age brackets especially the most impressionable while we were developing um some of the things we did some of the things we saw uh i mean i, I think that that's a good job covering that. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, just say, uh, you know, crack is whack. Like Whitney Houston said, man, <laughs> don't do crack. Don't suck dick for Coke. And <laughs> that man would say, I ain't hogtied nobody. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I don't really have nothing else to add other than that, man. Crack is whack. And don't suck dick for coke. And don't hog tie anybody. <laughs> so that's another episode. <laughs> I got to see you that. <laughs> of a few screws loose. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope uh, you can relate to it or it gave you some sort of insight. As always, uh, if you have any questions for either one of us, you know, reach out on uh, social media. You can catch me at I am Dan on drugs on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can catch me at screws loose pod on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, and one more thing. We're also on YouTube. So you can give us a follow on YouTube as well. A few screws loose podcast. Um, we're on there too. So check us out. Oh yeah. We do we have a custom link yet? 
Uh, I highly doubt it. If I can't answer that question for sure, then I guess that's a no. no. Man, yo, and check out some of the short videos P's been making, man. Those, it's a lot of a lot of good videos. You'll find them on both Instagram and YouTube, man. Check them out. I mean, they're, they're good shit. Clips from prior shows. And, you know, as the show continues to grow, we'll continue putting out video content as well. Uh, I guess that's it for me, man. If you enjoy the show, uh, please leave us a review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, preferably Apple Podcasts or iTunes. But, yo, we appreciate reviews. Give us a follow. Until next time, people. Peace. Peace.